as you know, a book that I've been working on for the past 40 years has finally been published. I was hoping, I was hoping to have a signing here uh, during the uh, lunching time, but the, but, but have 10. 10, only 10 came in, all right. What happened was the shipping agent didn't get him on the boat in time. But I had a friend in Florida who owns a, uh, what do you call it, a flying service, charter service. He went this morning to the shipper, but only, they would only give him a small portion of the shipment. And that's what we have here, 14. So we will see if we could do that anyway. All right. It's a real joy to be here with you today. Let's see if I can get this thing working. Yeah. Your conference theme is, the world needs you, no matter your age. That's a great theme. But as I was praying over it, I decided to change my sermon's title to, God needs you, no matter your age. And we come in here to deal with the sovereignty of God and the free will of man in doing what God wants done here. God wants you to do his work in the world. But the one who really is recruiting missionaries is not the world, it's God, amen? So that's where we're going. Now, subtitled of my message is Missionary Recruitment God's Way, because that's what we're talking about, recruiting missionaries, and we want to be sure we do it God's way. Let me give another apology here. Every now and then you might see me feeling a little short breath. Please bear with me on that. That's the way of life for me right now. My doctor tells me every time it happens, I suppose to stop and breathe in and out three times. I'm not gonna do that all the time, but just so you would know it's happening. So don't become upset if you see that, it'll be okay. The text I'm gonna be working with is Matthew 9. Very familiar passage. I've called my message also a show and tell message. See, because I figured that we might have some young people in our congregation as well. And since we're aiming at young people, you know, they, used, they still have in schools a show and tell opportunity where the students come and show things about their life and so on. So I'm going to show you my message as I tell it. All right? I'm going to show you my message as I tell it. Here's our text. And I hope you'll turn to your Bibles and look at it. This is the text that we're going to be working from today. I was so delighted to see that uh, clip or that video that Lorraine showed concerning the Bible school, focusing on the Bible and going through it in such a fashion, the same way Pastor Rob does here in Calvary. So thankful for that. That's the way the Bible is to be studied, amen? So let's read this together, please. I want you to join me in reading it. And Jesus went about all the cities
Alan, Alexander McLaren, a famous preacher of the past years, said, Christ is teaching us how to look at hurting people, how to feel at such a sight, and what to do with the feeling. It is one of, this passage is one of the most revealing passages in all of Scripture relative to the emotional and psychological makeup of Jesus Christ. It shows his attitude toward the lost and the emotions and actions that attitude produces. I believe we are to imitate Jesus in this respect. And in the words of the saint of an earlier day, quote, let our heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. But in this passage, Jesus also reveals to us his divine methodology for recruiting workers for his vineyard. Or to use a more modern terminology, to recruiting missionaries for the field. This passage gives us exactly how God wants it. He wants it to be done Jesus' way. And that's our focus this morning. Some of you might remember Frank Sinatra. How many of you have heard of Frank Sinatra? You're right. One of his famous songs that he made famous was, I've done it my way. You go to McDonald's, you could have it done your way. When it comes to missionary recruitment, if it's going to be effective, we must do it God's way. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, how many of you young people know what this means? You remember that, young people, right? What would Jesus do? Young people used to wear a band to that all the time. Well, that's the same question we should ask now when we're looking for missionaries. What would Jesus do? So what I've done is to say we need to answer the question, what did Jesus do? Because he faced the same problem of recruitment for missionaries. What did Jesus do? So we're going to look this morning at the text to see what Jesus did. All right? Now, look at that text very carefully. This is doing what Jesus did. The text says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And those of you who've gone through our Bible study method know that that statement is what? A main statement. Because you have a subject and a verb, right? Jesus is a subject. Went is the verb. This gives us what's happening here. Jesus went. Where did he go? Through all the towns and villages. What did he do? Three ing verbs, gerunds, tell us what Jesus was doing as he was going. He was teaching, where? In the synagogues. He was preaching about what? The good news of the kingdom. Now, we had time to develop this text. We could try to explain the difference between preaching and teaching. And to see, really, it has to do with the location and message. But, of course, we don't have opportunity for the day. And healing. This really is a concise statement of the ministry of Jesus Christ. What he did when he was on earth and what he wants us to do today as well. So I call it the mandate template. In other words, when you go through the life of Christ, you will see that what he did was to present what he wants, wants us to do after he left. He left a template for us in what he preached and what he taught. That's what I call the missionary template. Teaching, preaching, healing throughout the world, not only through the villages, as we'll see. I call this the mandate pre-model. Jesus pre 
showing us what the Great Commission is all about. You know, the Great Commission says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus' life modeled this command, if we see it. And the command really is a modeling of the mandate that he himself had received from the Father. In Luke 4, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what? Proclaim or preach the good news. To the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set liberty at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What I'm saying to you is Jesus has modeled for us what he wants us to do today as a church. His life and his teaching modeled what we call today the Great Commission. And that underlines my focus on that. We need to do what Jesus did. Here's the point. Jesus always lived what he preached. And he modeled what he taught. And now he passes that baton mandate to us. He wants us to do the same require, uh, when we talk about missionary recruitment. If we want to recruit missionaries, we have to do it Jesus' way if it's going to be effective. Now, so I say here that we must do the same as Jesus did as parents and teachers if our children will hear the Lord's call to missions involvement. And that's one of the objectives of this conference. We must encourage and provide opportunities for our youth to experience the missionary mandate. That's my practical application of the text as we go along. In other words, we must do it Jesus' way. To do that, we must see what Jesus saw. Notice what the text says. When he saw what? When he saw the crowds. Jesus looked upon, I believe in one infinite moment, all the people of the earth. When he saw, the, and that when is important. It wasn't until he saw the crowds that we're going to have his response. To seeing the crowds. This tells us it's important for us to show our young people what the crowds are, the condition of the crowds. We must do it the Jesus way. Jesus first underlines the fact that there are millions of people who need to hear the gospel. He saw the crowds. Today, it is said that there are some 7.3 million people in the world. Billion, I'm sorry. At least you're listening. <laughs> 7.3 billion people in the world. I'm going to go just quickly because I'm sure that some of this you've heard before. The world's 7.3 billion people are scattered among and among some 11,750 unique people groups 
All right. But in this day, <clears throat> you know, it is recorded that Jesus was beside himself as he ministered to the people. And he had a sense of urgency to reach. And I'm saying to you now, I believe that if we could present to our young people the conditions of the world today, we may have that same desire to reach them. Um, some 4,007 people groups are classified as no longer unreached, meaning evangelical believers complete 2% or more of their population. In other words, where there are at least 2% Christians, that group of people are not recognized or identified as unreached. The idea is they are, unre they are reachable now because there are Christians living in their midst. Now, of course, that means that the Christians who are there will do the job. But this is just a classification now, all right? No longer unreached doesn't mean they are no longer in need of evangelism and church planting, but that there are sufficient believers among them. So they are no longer a first priority because they have people who can reach them if they do the job. Some 7,000 people groups, people groups now, remain classified as unreached. Unreached means that less than 2% of Christians in that population are, the, are present. There may be evangelicals among them, and I mean say evangelicals, we're assuming that they are born again believers, but they are there in limited numbers. They, they still, in need of the gospel. Although there are 2% people present, the people who they serve still need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Among these 7,000 unreached people groups, 3,800 are currently engaged. That means that they are at least being contacted in some form or fashion. So unreached and engaged are the terms they use today. So we are thankful that many of the world's remaining unreached people groups are currently engaged. There are some believers present. These groups account for roughly 55% of the world's population. But there's one final category of people groups who needs to be looked at. They remain what they call unengaged and unreached. These people have no Christian influence, they've not been reached with the gospel at all. These groups have limited of any evangelical believers among them. No non-evangelical church or mission organization is implementing a church planning strategy among this group of people. The whole, the big question is, who will take the gospel to these 3,250 people groups? That's the question. That is the question we have to face today. Most of these people groups are small. In other words, the people groups are small. They're not billions in there, but they are millions. The average population is just over 65,000. Many, many have no scriptures in their, heart, in their heart language, their major language. So the challenge is great today. These unengaged and unreached people groups should be the highest priority for mission efforts today. These are the ones who should be exposed to our young people. 
if we are going to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. We must inform our young people concerning the condition of these people groups. It is said that out of five people who make up the 7.3 billion people on earth have not yet heard the gospel. That's quite a, that's quite a statement there, quite a uh, truth to really lay a hold of. That means that, typically speaking, every fifth person you meet has not heard the gospel of Christ speaking worldwide. Someone has said that every soul without Christ is a mission field. And every soul with Christ is a missionary. That is what we have to get across to our young people. Who will take the gospel to these people groups? These are the ones our young people of today must reach for Jesus Christ. Those unengaged, unreached people. These are the people that must be exposed to our youth. We, they must see them as Christ saw and still sees them. Notice what the text says. First it says that Jesus had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. The King James Version says his bowels were moved in him. His bowels were moved within him. This is an expression that was used in these days. In fact, in 1 John, John says, whoever hath this world's good and sees his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? This was an expression that was used to express the inner feelings of the people, of the person. Selfishness and lack of love, John is saying, are in actuality spiritual constipation. We have the feelings, or if you will, the urge, would we do nothing about it? That's what he's saying. Same thing I true we can say here in the context of missions. We may call it missions constipation. We see the need. We have a feeling and everything else, but we do nothing about it. That's missions constipation. Now the word compassion comes from a Greek word which we get the word heart or cardia from. It's what we would call heart pity. It goes beyond sympathy to a feeling of complete empathy with someone who is hurting, someone who is suffering, or someone is in terrible condition. Barclay, a Greek scholar, says it means getting under the skin of someone's experience or feeling, whatever it may be. It's getting under the skin of the one who is suffering. Now, some of you have heard of Dr. Ray Stedman. He told a story once. I'm old enough to remember hearing him preach, by the way. He was telling a story of a little girl who, after being taught about the three parts of the human body, you know, the brain, and what else? Chest cavity, right? And then the abdominal cavity, right? 
This is what he said, the little girl says. A person has three parts. The brainium, the chester, and the abominable cap cavity. <laughs> we, the brainium holds the brain, the chester holds the heart, and the abominable cavity holds the bowels of which there are five. A-E-I-O-B. <laughs> Some of us, I think, fall in a category of a little girl who don't understand the deep feelings that has been expressed by Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at the passage again. He says, he had compassion. Now I'm going to say why. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is what motivated the feelings of Jesus Christ. He saw something the condition of the people, that seeing motivated a feeling. That's what we're talking about here. Harassed means distressed, torn, lying down, restless, without peace. One translation says it was mangled by predators and at the point of death. Helpless, downcast, sad and without hope, lying prostrate. This describes people that Jesus says are people, sheep without a shepherd. That's the condition now. Now notice, they're not dead. They're almost to the point of death, but they're not dead. There's still hope, in other words. That's the point of the whole passage. If we had time to develop, then, now, here's something else, then, notice that. In other words, after he did what he did, going through all the towns and villages, preaching, teaching, healing, seeing these people in this condition, after he did what he did, after he saw what he saw, after he felt what he felt, then all of these things are based upon what he experiences. Then he said to his disciples, this is the result now of experiences. He, pro he states the problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Notice how the text shows the contrast. The but emphasizes the contrast. The harvest is what? Plentiful. But, here's the contrast now. This is the word. The workers are what? Few. The contrast is vivid. The contrast is evident. The harvest is plentiful. But, the workers are few. That's the dilemma. That's the problem Jesus stated. Jesus is motivated then by a sense of urgency now. Because another text talks about it being ripe unto harvest. In other words, the fruit on the tree is ripening now. If you don't get them in time, they get rotten, they get die, they get fall off. This is the time for the fruit to be harvested. Notice the emphasis is on the harvest. It's time to harvest. It's time to bring in the fruit. So therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest. Now notice this text carefully. Again, with the Bible study, the subject is understood here. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Who is the subject? Who is to do the asking? You, the disciples, are to do the asking. You don't go to the unsaved to ask them to pray for laborers. You go where? To those who are already in 
involved with Jesus Christ. You ask the Lord of the harvest. He is the one, the only one, who can supply the need. This is the point. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Now take a look at this in a moment. To send out workers, not observers, not concerned people, but workers. See, a lot of folks are there concerned and everything, but they do nothing. They stay there. Send out workers into the harvest field. Field is ready to be harvested. Now this word send out, it's quite interesting. The phrase tells us why we have to pray for workers. The word send forth, uh, the, the word trans, boy, send forth is translated from a word which really means to throw forcibly. The idea here then is that these people are holding on to something and they won't go where they're supposed to go. They're holding on to something. And Jesus is saying, the Lord of the harvest, who knows what's going on, pray that the Lord of the harvest will cast forth, throw these people into the field, pry them away from whatever it is that is holding them back. That's what he's talking about here. You know, today we have people talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, calling people to himself. What we need to do now is be praying that the Holy Spirit cast out workers into the field. And so what Jesus is actually saying is here is, pray that workers will let go of whatever it is that is keeping them from reaping in the harvest fields of lost souls. Today, as I mentioned, theologians talk about the Spirit drawing believers to Christ. We need now also to talk about the Holy Spirit throwing believers into the mission field. Very important for us to see this. Now, let me try to summarize what I'm saying here. For young people, today, their desire is to live the good life. What does that mean? Go to a good college, learn a profession, come back home, get a good job, marry a nice person, buy a big home, buy a nice car, get your other duty, live the good life. That's what our young people are modeled and even taught to do. Who does that? It's the parents who teach them that. Parents will go to any length to pay and borrow all kinds of money to send their children to a good school so they could prepare to live the good life. Very few parents who try to model or teach their, their children, hey, what you need to do first is get a good grounding in the word of God and be prepared if God calls you to go into the mission field. We don't have that kind of a mindset in our church today. That's why the labors are few. Because number one, our parents are knowing doing the job of preparing our young people to cast, to let go of this lifestyle of the good life and go into the mission field. So I believe it's important for us to inform our children of missionary heroes. We should be talking about missionaries rather than sports figures and Hollywood figures. But you ask your young people today if they know about Jim Elliott, or they know about David, uh, 
Brainerd or uh, what's guy in China, uh, Hudson. They won't even know who you're talking about, but ask them about Michael Jordan. See, asking them about sweet bells. They'll tell you everything. Our young people are not being in any way trained to be missionaries, to do the one thing that God wants them to do, and that's to tell others about Jesus Christ. That's why let me interject here. I'm not getting paid for this. I would really encourage young people who are in high school right now, before you go into university and thinking about getting that big degree, think about spending a year at Word of Life, where you are taught the Word of God, exposed to evangelism, give you an opportunity to really make a decision as to whether or not you're going to let go and get into the mission field. I really encourage you to do that. Pray that workers will let go of whatever it is that is keeping them from going to reap in the harvest field of lost souls. Let's summarize where we are to this point. Seeing what Jesus sees causes us to feel what Jesus feels. Feeling what Jesus feels causes us to evaluate souls the way Jesus does, which further causes us to do what he commands to reach them. That's the idea of the text here. This is the Jesus way for recruiting missionaries. Ask him to pull believers away from personal interest to go into all the world. Here's a practical application. Constant, meaningful, and valid exposure to true spiritual condition of the lost must be provided by parents and leaders of the church to our young people. Short-term missions, we should have opportunity for short-term missions. That's how we could see what the Great Commission is all about. Videos concerning missionary work in different parts of the world. Biograph, biographies of missionaries. If I had an opportunity, I'll tell you of the reason why I am in full-time ministry today, or why I came to it, is because of missionaries, but we don't have time for that. This helps our youth to feel what Jesus feels, which in answer to our prayers, will motivate them to do what Jesus did in reaping the harvest that is ready for the picking. I invite you to study it sometime. This is what you see when it comes to missionary recruitment. You petitionize or pray for additional workers. You mobilize present workers. This passage teaches this, how to mobilize the workers we have. Remember, Jesus sent out the 12. Then he sent out 72. And he had specific instructions for them, showing how to do the work. So mobilize present workers by careful selection of them, by concentrated instruction of them, by conscientious delineation to them. The result is consistent reproduction. In other words, regular harvesting and sending forth of missionaries. Now remember this. Praying this way is dangerous. Praying this way. Who ought to pray? We who are already believers. Where did the workers come from that Jesus sent out? The ones who were praying. The ones that he said to pray, those are the ones he sent out. So be prepared to let go what you're holding on to if you're going to be praying for this. Amen? Quickly now, above all else, pray to the Lord of the harvest to cast forth young and old into his harvest. But we as the older ones must be priming them for this. That's the Jesus way. That's why I encourage you again, I don't want to interfere with what you're doing here, but I would encourage you to think about a mission Sunday in Sunday school. 
where once a month all you focus on is missions. Have classes, teachers teach about missionaries. Have videos that show what's going on. Do it once a month, and I can guarantee you that we'll see coming from Calvary Bible Church in the years ahead, many of our young people going into the mission field. It's important for us to equip them. So that's it. All right. Sorry for the little interruption, the hiccups, but didn't work out that way.